Welcome and thanks for listening to this message from City Bridge Community Church. Our heart at City Bridge is to call all people to be fully devoted followers of Christ. To learn more about City Bridge and how you can take your next faithful step with Jesus, check us out online at citybridgechurch.org. Now, here's the message. Welcome this morning. My name is David. If we have not met, we are starting a brand new series called On Brand. Now, let me start with a story that is by far the most ridiculous story I have shared here. And I just want to disclaim that and say it was a long time ago. I'm not endorsing this. This is a safe place, right? We're about to find out. And it was ridiculous behavior from a teenage boy. But I grew up in Houston, Texas. And in Houston at the time, they had something called Six Flags over Astroworld. No longer exists, RIP, went to be with the Lord. But at the time, it did exist, and my brothers and I would love to go to Six Flags. My family would love to go, we just love roller coasters, and would go to Six Flags and go on the rides and go on these roller coasters. Something happens to a teenage boy when they go on a ride over and over and over again. What was originally exciting becomes what? Becomes less exciting, becomes boring. And so in order to fix that, we decided we would come up with a game that would make it more exciting while we were on the ride. And that game would be, we would do a shirt switch. We'd switch clothes with the person sitting next to us throughout the ride during the ride taking place. There were certain rules that went along with this, like only guys can play. (laughs) Go listen a few weeks back to hear why. And that you had a confirmation system because you gotta confirm you're holding the shirt because one of us is gonna leave without a shirt if you know, somebody's not holding onto it during the transfer process. So I know it's ridiculous and absurd, but teenage boys, do what you do. At some point though, you've done that game enough to where even that becomes boring. And so someone had the idea, we should do a full clothes switch. Everything but undergarments during the ride, shirts, shorts, shoes, let's do this. So like dumb teenage boys, we're like, eh, that's gonna be awesome. Get ready, go on the ride, click, 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 click. Ride begins, we're on our way. Begin to do the shoes, shirt switch, and begin to try to work on the shorts. And I'm going through the turns and I know the ride and I know how long I have. And I know, man, I'm running out of time and we gotta hurry or this is not gonna go well for anybody. And I'm trying to make sure I get everything done before the last turn and all of a sudden, and I didn't make it. And so I have to stand up and pull my pants up in front of lines of people who are wondering, what kind of ride is this? And we run off of the roller coaster having made a memory. And then it hits us, we should capture that memory by buying one of the photos from that little kiosk. And I wonder where the photo was whenever it was taken because they take photos on different roller coasters. So we run down to the kiosk to go see the picture and we look up on the screens and they have every cart that's up there in their picture. And then there's one black box with a big red X over it that was clearly where our picture would have been. And I would go up to the lady and I'm like, hey, we just want to purchase that picture. Not knowing if she can connect the dots. She said, I can't show you that picture. And I said, well, I think you could show me the picture. I'm in the picture. And she says, no, I will not show you the picture. Inappropriate dress. Um, You're lucky you're not being kicked out of the park right now. And I continue to try to press her. It was very clear Chandra was having none of it. And again, on inappropriate dress, I'll have you kicked out of the park. Now, what does it have to do with this series? Well, Nothing. I just need to get it off my chest and live in the light. No, totally. In this series, we are looking at what the appropriate dress for the body of Christ is to be. That we are looking at what is inappropriate or what is appropriate 
dress and characteristics that are to mark the people of God, both in this local church and in general, the body of Christ. We're doing that by diving into a new series called On Brand. Now, if you are not familiar with the term on brand, it's another way of saying that fits or that seems right, that, that feels on brand. In fact, let me read the definition from the compendium of all wisdom in life, Urban Dictionary. It says this, on brand means an action or belief espoused by someone that aligns with the value system of that person. That, man, that's so on brand. Or if it wasn't aligned, it would be that so off brand. So we're going to look at, hey, what is on brand for the body of Christ? In fact, we've got a slide that shows an overview of some of the on brand ways that we articulate those values here specifically and locally. But these are values that even if you use different words to describe them are values that have always and are intended to mark the body of Christ. So you can see these are the ABCs of City Bridge. But we're going to dive deeply every week into one of these characteristics. Today is just going to be a flyover and hit kind of high level these characteristics. But the church not being on brand is a part of some of the deepest church hurt that people have. The reason why people give up on the church, abandon the church, or don't take part in the church, or don't want any part in the church is because, sadly, she often has lived on brand. Or those who make it up do not live on brand. Now, we're going to look in... My attempt as we fly through these five is to try to inflate how unbelievably important it is that we live on brand and also articulate how unbelievably impactful it is when believers in Christ gather together, follow Jesus and live in line with Jesus's brand, so to speak, that the impact is unbelievable. And the fact that believers are not, and the church is not calling people to do this, it's not helping the church, it's hurting the church. And so we're going to explore week by week these values and go real in depth. So if today it feels like, man, you flew through authenticity, you are correct. Next week, we will dive deep into authenticity, but we're going to explore these five characteristics that are to mark the body of Christ and exactly where in scripture they come from. The first one is living authentically. So authenticity, living authentically. The scriptures over and over hit on believers in Christ being marked by their transparent, their authentic, their genuine, their real. First Timothy chapter one, verse five says, the goal of our instruction is love from a good conscience and a pure heart, a sincere or authentic faith. Scriptures hit on having authentic relationships and living authentically over and over. Just another couple examples. Hebrews chapter two, sorry, chapter three, verse 12 says this. See to it, brothers and sisters, that none of you has a sinful, unbelieving heart that turns away from the living God, but encourage one another or exalt, exhort one another daily. The solution to making sure that somebody doesn't have a heart that turns them away from God is exhortation from other people in their life. Encourage one another daily, as long as it is called today, so that none of you may be hardened by sin's deceitfulness. So that your heart would not be deceived and hardened to sin. Make sure you have people in your life that you authentically share and are open about where you need encouragement and you need help, where you're struggling, where your marriage is struggling, where you're personally struggling, where you're struggling to trust God, that you have these relationships where you're open and authentic and people can speak into those areas and encourage one another all the more. James chapter five, verse 16, also hits at this idea of these real relationships. It says, therefore confess your sins to each other 
not just to God, to each other, and pray for each other so that you may be healed. The body of Christ was to be marked by having these authentic relationships where they opened up. They knew, hey, it's a qualification or it is a a requirement to become a Christian, to acknowledge I'm a broken sinner. That's one of the ways that you can become a Christian. In other words, if you can't acknowledge that, you're not a Christian because one of the common starting points for anyone who becomes a Christian is they acknowledge I am in need of a savior. I'm incapable of saving myself. I have sin inside of my life. And so of course the body of Christ is gonna have to walk and deal with those things that it's okay to not be okay. And we wanna help you not stay that way. But being marked by authenticity was always to be a hallmark or a characteristic that marked the body of Christ. When I was 22 years old, I did something that most people do at a much earlier age in life, and that I went to the dentist for the very first time. Prior to that, I had relatively straight teeth and never had any problem, and so my mom was like, Pat, get back in the game. And so at 22, I got health insurance, or dental insurance for the first time, went to the dentist, had my very first dental experience. Sitting in the chair, they do the x-rays, the dentist comes back in, says, I've got some good news, and I've got some bad news. Good news is, your teeth are relatively straight. Bad news is you have 14 cavities. Yeah, at that point I'm going, I don't, I don't even know how many, te- do you have 14 teeth? How do you have 14 cavities? How is that possible that that could be the case? And she begins to ask a series of questions like, well, how often are you brushing? How often are you flossing? Are you sleeping with candy in your mouth? What is causing this amount of cavities? And what she's doing in that moment is she's trying to help me identify. She's recognized, hey, there's some real decay that you need to deal with. And you have, through self-actions, caused some real harm inside of your mouth. That's going to be really problematic if you don't address it and deal with it. And in a much more real sense, the body of Christ was to be marked by this idea of, man, I'm going to open up and have people that speak into my life, that see areas of decay, see ways that I'm not being the husband that I'm called to be, that I'm not being the follower of Jesus, that I'm not being as generous as I'm called to be, that I'm not trusting God as it relates to the future that he has for me, that we'd have these real relationships marked by authenticity. That's on brand. Being inauthentic is off brand for the body of Christ. As I mentioned these aspects are directly related to why a lot of people give up on the church or have a bad perspective on the church. And that the number one reason, according to a recent poll from Barna, which is just a Christian research organization, did a survey in 2022. And the most common answer to the question, or number one answer to the question of what makes you skeptical of Christianity to all non-believers and people who are believers of another religion, the answer that they had of what makes you resistant or skeptical to Christianity is that Christians are hypocritical, that they're not authentic. And the body of Christ is to be marked, which is why we hit on community all the time, because you and I, just like me, all of us need authentic relationships, people that can come alongside and encourage and support you. There's no perfect pastor. There's no perfect person on our staff. All of us are broken sinners in need of Jesus and in need of one another. And authentically living allows others to be a part of helping us take those steps. Second value that we see was marked as Bible-based or that they trust God's word, that on-brand people, on-brand in the body of Christ, the body of Christ has always been a group that trusts God's word. We believe God's word is our authority, conscience, guide. Second Timothy chapter three, verse 16, Paul writes this, all scripture is God-breathed. It's useful for teaching, for rebuking, correcting, and training in righteousness so that the servant of God 
may be thoroughly equipped for every good work. It says all scripture is God breathed. What's interesting is that word in the Greek appears nowhere else in the Bible, God breathed. It appears nowhere else in ancient literature. It's as though Paul made up a word to describe. It's as if God is speaking divinely through the pages of scripture. That you can know God is speaking to you and God's direction when we study and we read God's word. That if you wanna hear from God, you can read the Bible and he speaks to his people through it. Which is so relevant, especially having worked with young adults, I hear a phrase all the time of this idea of, man, I want a word from God, or that was a word from God, or man, pastor, that was a word today. Man, I want a word from God. And here's how you can know you have a word from God. You have read your Bible. And people often want a word from God and they don't read the word of God. And one of the primary ways he speaks is through his word. It also being God breathed, I think should probably give us some caution. Let me just side note here around attaching God told me to things that are not directly from the Bible. So very common, especially among young adults, you hear people say th things like, man, I feel like Sally, this has been great. I feel like God told me we should break up. When God is in heaven going, I never said you should break up. with There's nothing, no verse that says break up with Sally. What you're really saying is I think that we should break up. Or I think God may be telling me to take this job. In other words, I would be very cautious about saying God told us to buy the house unless God audibly spoke. Perhaps a better way would say, I think God may want us to buy the house unless you are quoting from scripture. It's just more accurate. You, when reading the Bible, you know, man, God has, is telling me through his word. Paul lays out a number of things that the Bible is useful for. One of those teaching that it teaches us, it teaches us the perspective of God. It introduces us to God and introduces us to God's perspective on the world. That when we read the scripture, we begin to understand and see more as God sees, see our world as God sees it, see marriage as God sees it, see our time on earth, which he says is like a vapor as God sees it, see money as God sees it. That we are introduced to God's perspective on where life is found and what life is about. He says, it's also useful reproof and correcting. Again, we're gonna hit deep on this in a couple weeks, but that idea of a hey, correction, we don't like because we attach shame to it. A better way of thinking it is it's just him lovingly course correcting and helping us stay more in line when we live according to his words with how God designed the world. Just as a loving father, helping us reach the destination that's more in line with his word and what Jesus would later call the abundant life. It's similar to this. Anyone use the Waze app in here? Yes, there we go. Waze app, for those who don't know, is simple, it's a map. It's basically like Apple Maps, only far superior. But on Waze, you can type in and you try to get to your destination and something happens if you take a wrong turn or you miss the exit that you were supposed to exit on. What happens? It redirects, it redirects. That it's gonna continue, no matter where you are in that journey, to redirect and attempt to direct you back to the destination and towards the destination that you wanna be at. So God's word is there. It's a lamp in our feet, a light into our path. It's meant to direct and guide like a loving father, not like a shame rebuke. He lays out that it's useful for training in righteousness to be thorough and equipped, that it helps us grow up, that you can know how one of the ways God is gonna grow your faith is through God's word. It is a guarantee that at the end of this year, you will be a year or a year from now, you will be one year older than you are today. It is not guaranteed that you will be more mature spiritually than you are today. A lot of people grow up in age and they never grow up in spiritual maturity because they don't read and study God's word 
The body of Christ has always trusted God's word, which means they have to know it. And we wanna help you do that. If you are sitting there thinking, man, I just don't know a ton of scripture, we wanna help. There's all kinds of resources, men's and women Bible study start this week. If we can help you connect there, you can text connect to the number that uh, many of us are connected to with our our um, kids ministry, or we'll throw a slide on at the end of this message. There's the uh, Bible recap, which is a podcast that daily sends you a devotional. There's the dwell app that sends you a devotional. There's so many amazing resources, version app that you can have hand delivered to you every single morning, a devotional to journey through and study God's word. And in doing so be on brand with what the people of God have always been about. Okay. Third thing, the people of God are marked by living in community, that they live in community, that they live in deep relationships with other believers, deep and ongoing relationships with others in their life, connected to that idea of authenticity. It says, and let us consider, Hebrews chapter 10, how to stimulate or spur one another on to love and good deeds, not forsaking our own assembling together, as is the habit of some. He says, Let us keep meeting together, keep meeting together, keep meeting. There's gonna be people who end up not meeting together. Don't be like those people. Be like the people who keep meeting together and encouraging one another and all the more as you see the day drawing near. He says, have these types of ongoing relationships where you provide encouragement and they provide encouragement and they help you and they hold you accountable, that you have these ongoing consistent group of people, not one-off conversations, not just a conversation down front with our pastoral team, though we'd love to have a conversation with you, but we want you to have continual support and encouragement from people who know you inside of your life. The model that we have embraced is a biblical one that we think we're a kingdom of priests. You should shepherd one another. They were called to shepherd and live out the one another's of the Bible in these deep relationships, which is why we hit on community groups so much. That's just the word that we use to describe these deep ongoing relationships. Maybe the best application that you can take through this whole series, if you don't have a group of people that are in your life that you consistently are meeting with that know where your marriage is, that know where you're struggling, that know you and support you, that you know and you're supporting them, the best step that you could take, ready? Is to get in the community. And what you'll discover there is that's one of the key ways that God grows and cares for our faith. It's one of the ways he protects us from sin. And it's also one of the ways that he grows and brings about our faith. And heads up, if you have not gotten into a group, community is challenging because it involves sinners, just like marriage is challenging because it involves sinners. And every great community group, like every great marriage, is not something you just find. Oh, we just found them and everything's perfect. It's something you forge. It takes time being a priority. One of the best ways you can care for your marriage, ready? Is to get into a community group. One of the best ways you can parent your children in a way that doesn't push them from the church, but pushes them to the church is to live in community where they see, this is actually an important thing to my parents, to the point where they constantly are changing their schedule, prioritizing being in authentic, deep relationships with other people in their life. This has been one of the greatest sources, candidly, in my own life of God's grace and gift that my group, we've been together for several years. We meet weekly as guys on Friday mornings. We meet as couples every other Thursday night. Girls meet on the Thursday nights in between. I don't share that to say that's what everyone should do, but everyone should have a group of people that you're consistently walking alongside. Now here's the pushback. That's not really from the younger generation. It can come from older generations of, hey, that's just a new thing. Like community groups, I've been in church a lot longer when you were in diapers, son. And so community and how community groups is just the new way of doing it. You don't necessarily have to do that. 
Uh, incorrect. Community and doing life together has always been the way that God has instructed and the church has lived out and been on brand. You can go back to some of the earliest extra biblical writings as it relates to the church. And what do they describe? They describe this exact thing. In other words, I'll, I'll give you one example that comes from someone who lived around 111 AD, who was named Pliny the Younger. Pliny the Younger, which is like a great rap name, but Pliny the Younger was a governor of Asia Minor. And he wrote to an emperor and he described what he had investigated and discovered about Christians. There was this new cult that was growing everywhere and Pliny the Younger was determined to find out what are these people actually about? He had heard that they, they ate, drank blood and ate flesh because he thought that's what communion was. He had just heard all these kind of crazy things. They believed in people rising from the dead. So he captured two deaconesses from a church in Asia Minor tortured them and discovered what Christianity was all about. And he writes to the emperor and says, I have discovered what Christians do in those little gathering rooms together. And here's what he says. The sum and substance of their fault, here's what I discovered from my investigation, is that they were accustomed to meet on a fixed day before dawn. They gather together on this set day. It's early in the morning, dark outside and they sing a song or a hymn to Christ as to God. And they bind themselves by an oath. For those of us who are believers, this is our heritage. It says they get together, they gather together, they sing a song to this guy as though he's God, and then they take this oath, but it's not an oath like a bad oath, here's the oath. They bind themselves by oath to not commit crime, to not commit fraud, theft, or adultery, to not falsify their trust to keep their word or refuse to return a trust when called upon to do. When this was over, it was their custom to depart and assemble again and to partake of food. But it wasn't blood and flesh, it was just ordinary innocent food, that the body of Christ has always been gathering together. That's just what he, he said. He said, I, I discovered they gather together and they sing a song to Christ as God, and then they, they take this oath and they're like, I, I need your help and I need you to help me and I wanna hold you accountable and you hold me accountable. I don't wanna commit adultery today. I don't wanna lie today. I don't wanna be anything other than God's man or God's woman today, and I need you to lock arms with me and I'm gonna lock arms with you and we're gonna walk through this together and help hold each other accountable. It's always been one of the ways that the body of Christ lives out being the body of Christ. And if you don't have community, we're so glad you're here. We wanna help you get connected and help you get people in your life that are, we all need to care and be a source of God's love, provision, protection in our life. That's on brand living. Some of the one another's that I mentioned that I think we have a slide for of this is in this context where we speak the truth in love, we have relationships together that we mourn with those who mourn and rejoice with those who rejoice. We, counsel each other from God's word. We encourage each other when we're faint-hearted, which all of us get faint-hearted. We're generous towards the needs of others because I'm a source of provision in their life. We forgive when we hurt them as Christ forgave us. We're diligent to work through conflict, and maintain unity of spirit. All of those are part of living in community on brand. The fourth thing that the body of Christ is marked on brand with is a focus on making disciples of Christ. The body of Christ makes disciples of Christ. The body of Christ makes disciples. A disciple is a learner, it's a follower, and a multiplier of Christ. Matthew 28, one of Jesus' last instructions on the planet said, therefore go and make disciples of all nations, 
baptizing them in the name of Father and of the Son and the Holy Spirit, teaching them to obey everything I have commanded you. And surely I'm with you always to the very end of the age. He says, go and make not Christians, but disciples. The early church call was not, hey, become a Christian. In fact, the term Christian appears three times in the Bible. Over and over, the term disciple or follower appears. That the message of the church and being on brand is to make disciples of Jesus. People who are following Jesus with their life. Somebody understands that at the core of the purpose for which God has you on the planet is making disciples for Jesus. Regardless of where you work, regardless of where you live, regardless of how old you are, part of the purpose that the church exists, and if you're a part of the church that you exist and are here, that God has for you, is to make disciples for Jesus. Not to attend Sunday church, not to just go to a community group every once in a while, not to give in the giving boxes, but to be someone who's focused on making disciples. All those things can be included in it, but church is not to be this just hobby. It's a terrible hobby. If it's Christian, if this is just a hobby where you just show up once a week and uh, it, it's not that big of a deal. It's a weird hobby. You should get a better hobby. You should get a boat. Boat's a great hobby. Christianity is not to be a hobby. It's to be a place where they understand those who make up the body of Christ. We are here on the planet to make disciples. You are the steward of the message of eternal life and of a better life in Christ for an entire generation. Every single one of us who is alive in this era that's a part of the body of Christ, what an amazing responsibility and privilege that God has entrusted you and I to steward, to be the only stewards. It's what the Christ is, or church is, uniquely, of the message of eternal life and of a better life. And the body of Christ understands that and lives that out in how they serve and how they give and how they live and how they parent, which is why so many in this body do such an amazing job and focus their life on making disciples in the home where you're intentional with conversations with your kids, on Sunday mornings where you're not just doing daycare. I'm so encouraged by what is happening in the children's ministry down there. It's not an hour of babysitting. It is discipling that is happening. Or on Wednesday nights where young adults are gathering with junior high students and high school students weekly week after week to pour into them because they understand I'm here to make disciples. I mean, the greatest motivation in the world, the eternal message that we alone offer. I was, when I was in college, I got to spend like five weeks in Africa in a village outside of Kampala, Uganda. And it was like off the path. There was no electricity, no running water. We we had to bring everything with us um, that we would eat or drink, anything. I mean, it was in the bush. People talk about in the bush. We were at the bush. We were there. And one day I was in a village's home and he pulled something out that was so perplexing. He asked if I wanted something to drink and I said no. And then he pulled this out and it was chilled. It was cold. Now there's not a refrigerator in sight. And so of course I'm like, how is that even possible right now? Well, it turned out that one of the villagers every day Early in the morning, would ride his bike to a village not far away where Coca-Cola had different ambassadors set up where they would distribute and give Coca-Colas and put them in a uh, cooler. And then that gentleman would ride his bike back and then sell those Coca-Colas and return the money the next day. Now that's how it got there, but I want you to think about why. Why was that there? Well, because somewhere in some boardroom, some CEO was sitting behind a desk saying, we need to get Coca-Cola into more places, farther, faster, into more hands. 
And so we need to have distribution all over the world in every city, every place. We need to get Coca-Cola in all these different hands. I mean, Coca-Cola is fulfilling their great commission. They, mission of going through the earth. There's only two nations on the planet that don't have Coca-Cola, Cuba and North Korea. Now, why? Why would they be so driven to get that product into so many hands? Well, it's not because it's a great product. It's sugar water. It's terrible for you. I mean, you see what it does to a car battery burning the acid away. It can't be good for your stomach. So it's not because it's a great product he's passionate about. Why? Money. How much more significant is the motivation that the body of Christ has to a world that apart from the body of Christ introducing it to the message of eternal life is going to spend eternity in hell. How much more significant is the motivation of every single person you've ever met who will live forever somewhere than little green pieces of paper with dead presidents on it? And maybe the invitation for you today is that you have not been focused on making disciples. You have not clearly lived in light of the unbelievable responsibility God has given us to be and make disciples in our generation. That far it seeds any sort of dollar amount and motivation that some company could have. You've been given the message of eternal life and a better life to our world. And the body of Christ is always on brand, understood that. Final point is that we related to this, engage our world. Engage our world. ABCs of the body of Christ and how we articulate it. We believe Jesus came to seek and save the lost. He gave us a mission to do the same through evangelism and intentional engagement. Luke 19.10 says, For the Son of Man came to seek and to save that which is lost. That Jesus came to seek and save so we understand we're in Collin County, we're in Fairview, we're in Plano, we're in McKinney, we're in Lake Highlands, we're in Dallas, we're in Frisco, we're in Prosper. God has us here to be salt and light, to live on mission for him, to engage a world that is full of great darkness and he's put great light here that we're called and the church is always, when it lives on brand, understood, man, we are here to engage the world around us. Jesus would say to some of his earliest followers in Matthew chapter five, verse 13, you, when you follow me, when you walk with me and live in a relationship with me and live out the values and live out my teaching. You are the salt of the earth. Now to us, that's lost a lot of its punch because when we think salt, we think condiment. Jesus, are you saying you're the condiment of the earth? What are you saying? Well, in Jesus' day, salt was not seen as a condiment. Salt was incredibly valued. In fact, the word salary, where we get that from is because often salt was used as payment. That's how they would pay Roman soldiers because it was so extraordinarily valuable. And people wanted salt because it was primarily seen as a preservative. There was no refrigeration. So if you had meat, the way that you allowed it and extended its existence from rotting was you would apply generous amounts of salt on top of it. Salt was seen as a preservative. Jesus just said, If you're a follower of me, you're like the preservative of the earth. In other words, this world and earth gets much darker, much quicker. Your community gets much darker, much quicker without the presence of a follower of Jesus in it. That you're the salt and the preserver of the apartment complex that you live in, of the college that you go to, of the business that you're a part of, of the street that you live on. 
You think about just the ways that the church uniquely brings that preservative. It's the church that uniquely communicates messages to the world around us that, hey, messages like, hey, abortion is not a solution. That sex is more than just physical, as we just talked about. That everyone has value because they're made in the image of God. Those are not intuitive ideas. Those are ideas that come from preservers, people who understand God's word and live according to it in our means of preservation in a world that apart from it would decay much quicker. And then he says this in verse 14, you are the light of the world. A town built on a hill cannot be hidden. Neither do people light up a lamp and put it under a bowl. Instead, they put it on its stand and it gives light to everyone in the house. In the same way, let your light shine before others that they may see your good deeds and glorify your father in heaven. Jesus's audience would have heard this very differently. I mean, he just said, you don't light a lamp and put it under a bowl. And lights in the very first century were very expensive. Typically every house had one light. Homes were 12 feet by 12 feet. And you take that light and you would be very intentional on where you placed it to maximize the light that it would give off to the darkness around it. So of course they understood, yeah, yeah, you're very intentional. And he says in the same way, God is very intentional. And he places lights. Now I wanna illustrate something and to do it, I'm gonna need help. And if everyone would take their phone out and turn their flashlight on, even the men. Something brilliant about his illustration is that light in the midst of the darkness always makes a difference. Your presence in the midst of the darkness always makes a difference. The way that you honor your wife and care for people at your work always makes a difference. And in fact, the darker that things get in our world, let's admit, it's getting darker and darker. And the darker things get, the brighter that it gets. Dim the lights. And from heaven's perspective, the body of Christ on the planet exists and is to be like in the world full of darkness and incredible light. And to live out, and when they do live out their faith, are a light to the darkness around them. And light always beats the darkness. And the body of Christ in this place and all over the world, when they live out their faith, is a source by which God pushes back darkness in our world. You can turn the lights back on and I'll close here. I mentioned at the beginning this idea of on brand and when we live as the body of Christ, it's almost impossible to overinflate how important the body of Christ is because it's almost impossible to articulate how impactful the body of Christ can be when they live out their faith. We've seen it over and over and maybe just a reminder that you matter. Keep going, keep following, keep walking. My wife and I, last November went on a 10 year anniversary through Costco, story for another time, to Paris and Rome. And we spent some time in Rome and got to go see the city. And one of the things that we saw was the Colosseum. We did a kind of night tour of the Colosseum. Here's a picture. Colosseum was one of the wonders of the ancient world. Contained enough seats to hold 50,000. It's, it's a skeleton or skeleton of what it was, but here's what it looked like originally when it was created. It was this massive, incredible building held 50,000 people. I mean, think American Airlines, only bigger. And inside of the Coliseum, if you're not familiar, they would, would do some pretty horrific, violent, brutal things. The gladiatorial games took place there. Slaves were maimed and killed for the pleasure and sport of the Roman people. The gladiator games, and really more specifically, the Coliseum 
was the epicenter of Roman culture. It was a picture of the brutality of Rome, the strength and might of Rome. And every single day, by the thousands, men and women would watch as the emperor would declare life or death over people, slaves, some who were Christians on the floor through various means. Unbelievably dark, barbaric, gruesome. Thousands and thousands of lives were lost in this place. Thousands and thousands of Christians lost their lives at places like this and Nero's Circus just down the street. They crucified by the thousands. Now today, if you were to go to the Colosseum, you wouldn't see an emperor and you wouldn't see crowds of people screaming for blood. But you would see this. This is a cross that today sits where the emperor once sat in the Roman Colosseum. That the very place where an emperor would declare life or death flippantly over a human's life no longer sits an emperor, but sits a cross representing not crucifixion and the horrific execution style that that is, but a single crucifixion, not representing the brutality of Rome, but the love of God for our world. Now, if you could take a time machine and go back to the first century and go communicate with some of the centurions that are dragging the bodies of dead people in the blood off of the, the blood it soaks into the sand and they're dragging their bodies off of them with the blood covering themselves or talk to some of the Christians who just lost their brother and sister in Christ who was crucified for following Jesus under Nero's reign or talk to some of the family members who had somebody that was brutally killed on the floor of that arena for following Jesus. And you could get them together and say, in a few short years, where the emperor now sits, there will not be an emperor, but there will be a cross, not representing crucifixion, but a single man's crucifixion named Jesus, the savior of the world. And the empire will fall. And if anything, become Christian. They wouldn't have believed it. There was a saying of the day that Rome is forever. To imagine that in a short amount of time, there will be no emperor, there will be no brutality, there will be no more death and violence and horrific nature of things happening, but there will be a cross. They could not have conceived it. What does that reflect? It reflects there is no limit to what God can do because how that happened is the people of God began to live out the values of the body of Christ and they spread their faith and they spread their faith and God continued to grow and all of a sudden the empire falls. There is no limit to what God can do when the people of God come together and they live and follow Jesus. Jesus said in Matthew chapter 16, I will build my church and the gates of Hades, death, will not stand against it. The gates of death come for a lot of things. They came for the empire of Rome. They came for the company of Sears. They come for a lot of things. They came for every person who's ever lived, but they will not come for my church because I will build my church. And there's no limit to what can happen when the church of God lives and follows Jesus. It can transform a city, culture, a world. Thanks for listening. We pray this message encourages you on your journey with Jesus. If you found this message helpful, feel free to share it with others and leave us a review. To learn about City Bridge and how you can take your next faithful step with Jesus, Check us out online at citybridgechurch.org. You can also follow us on social at citybridgecc. See you next time.